For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Well, I'm really happy to say that I have two comments for today's program. And it's really interesting um, because I actually have gotten back from the person that wrote me the really nice comment that I lost. Now I have it back. And actually, I have two back from the same person. He says, uh, I just wanted to tell you, he says, hi, Mr. Leap. I just wanted to let you know I love the podcast. I've listened to many podcasts on Shakespeare, and none can hold a candle to yours. Oh, that is so sweet. I am such a dedicated listener that I have considered asking to be on the show Keep the program lectures coming. Now, here's another one from the same person. They said, hello again. I was excited to find out a moment ago you've posted a second lecture on King John. I just finished listening to your first lecture on the above-mentioned play. It was very interesting, informative, and intellectually stimulating. So now that's, that's awesome. That's an awesome comment. I've tried to read King John some time ago and even watch a production, but just couldn't get into either. My desire to read the book has changed thanks to your first lecture. With great excitement, I look forward to going through the life and death of King John with you. And it goes on to say, your biggest fan, listener, and student, Andre. And so, so thank you for that, Andre. And getting ready for today's program, I realized in detail, it's not an easy play to read. 
And it's got a lot in it, though. And I think uh, by the end of today, you're going to realize that there's uh, uh, Shakespeare's really teaching us some lessons here. And I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. But uh, uh, I, I really think that this play, like King Lear, can be applied to today in many, many ways. So on our last program, I finished uh, discussing Act 1, Scene 1 of Shakespeare's play, The Life and Death of King John. Now, this play is often referred to as simply King John, but note that John was king of England from 1199 to 1216. Now, that's a long time ago. But uh, doing some research, trying to, to really grasp a little better understanding of the play, the University of Cambridge tells us that his 17-year reign is considered the years of crisis. I think that's really interesting that they said that. This is, it's the years of crisis. And aren't we all hearing that about our own time right now? It's like the year of crisis. It's only been like more like the years of crisis. And uh, even listening to the news uh, you know, on about uh, what's happening with the election coming up. I mean, this is 2024. We know there's a major election coming up. Uh, some people are saying this is the year of Trump. There's a lot of other people saying they'd like to assassinate Trump. And so aren't we in America in crisis years? And it's, a lot of it's over government. It's a lot of it's over leadership. And so so it, to me, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, when I decided I wanted to do this play, I didn't know the Daxi would fit in <laughs> with the times we're living in. Now, the University of Cambridge also reminds us that the year, in the year 20, uh, 1214, John lost his lands in France, and that earned him the name John Lackland. And we're going to be actually, there's a, what we're going to get in today is actually uh, the introduction of how he lost these lands in France. So essentially in Act 1, Scene 1, Shakespeare introduces us to some of the leading characters from John's family, leading characters from his court, and uh, I think it's one of the things, it's easy for us to like want to just dig into the play without paying attention to the characters, but I really do think it's important that you that you do uh, kind of remember who they are and, and what you're dealing with, and for my... Uh, from my uh, college students, I always give them uh, a list of the cast of characters and then they have to memorize it and understand it and then I quiz them on it and they get mad at me because they don't pass the quiz because they didn't study. But anyway, uh, just just by way of, of reminder, last time we did meet the famous Plantagenet Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine. Now, she is his mom. John was the son of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry II, and he fathered Henry III of England. And these are all famous Plantagenets. So for those of you that have listened to some of the later plays, like with the Henry VIII and, and all those, these are the forebearers of those participants in those plays. These are the forebearers of Henry VIII. These are the forebearers of Henry IV. And, uh, you know, so, so it, it, it was a different time and one of the things that you're going to see today as we go through this, it, the, the laws of who could rule were not really well established yet. 
and and by the time we get into Henry the Fourth, that's a big issue. Then, you know, how could Henry the Fourth take over the the throne? And uh, again, I think we're going to be able to tie this in a little bit with what's going on in the United States and even in Europe as well. So John was the son of Eleanor, Aquitaine, and Henry II. Uh, he fathered Henry III of England. And remember, these are all very famous Plantagenets. Now, Constance, the mother of his nephew Arthur, who is the son of his older brother Joffrey and also nephew to King Richard the Lionheart. So, so uh, um, Constance was the mother of Arthur. And as we get into the play, you're going to see the two women go after each other because they they uh, don't like what what each mother wants to do with the with the the king. It was King Richard that made his younger brother John king, and he did this on his deathbed in 1199. So King Richard the Lionheart. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the play today as well. But but he was actually wounded. Uh, uh, and and we're going to I'll talk about this more in the play but he was wounded with a in his shoulder with an, an arrow he was uh in uh with the king of not the king of the duke of austria at the time and so uh uh it was the viscount of austria that actually one of the guards shot him in the shoulder with the arrow and uh, he got poisoning and then then he died but uh, on his deathbed is when he said john will be king we also last time met Chatillon. He's the ambassador from King Philip of France. Uh, King Philip sent a message to John to give up his throne to his nephew. This is a major crisis for King John. That's what's going on. We, we were introduced to King Philip. He wants the throne given to his nephew, Arthur. And, uh, uh, this is a crisis, and, and the reason why it's a big crisis is war is just over the horizon, over the whole issue. Now, for today's program, I want to move on to Act 2, Scene 1, and this takes place just outside the city of Angiers. It's, it's right outside the gates. They're at Angiers. This is John's ancestral home. It's in France, and so so the... It, it it's it's amazing is uh, the whole the whole idea behind this this part of the play is is essentially what they want is John is never going to give up his throne to his nephew Arthur because his brother the famous Richard the Lionheart put him on the throne I mean he is he is in the line uh, he's produced you know a line to the throne. And, uh, you know, he's not going to give it up. And then Philip, essentially, Philip doesn't necessarily want it for Arthur as much as he wants it for himself. And so so that's not that different than what's going on right now in America. You know, it's, uh, and, and uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more. But uh, let's, let's turn to page, uh, page 16 in the play. If you look at the, the little synopsis at the top, uh, it's it's act act two scene one. It says, "Enter before Angiers, Philip of uh, King of France, Louis the Dauphin, and that's his son, and then the Duke of Austria is also there. Constance is there, and Arthur is there. So they're standing at the gates of Angiers. They're looking in, and essentially, they want to get in 
and uh, you know because they want the te- they want that territory. So um, before Angers, uh, King Philip is now speaking. He says before Angers, well met, brave Austria. And so so the the thing is is what King Philip is actually praising this this Duke of Austria. He's praising him because he killed Richard the Lionheart. Now, it wasn't really him. And there was a Viscount of Austria. And Shakespeare is, is really good at doing this. The, the, uh, the, what they're really referring to is a man by the name of Limoges. Now, he was, he, he was definitely uh, in the government there, but, but he wasn't the Viscount. He didn't kill him. It was the Viscount's guard, basically, that killed him. And so, but but Shakespeare has a bad habit of just molding two characters into one character. And he does that on purpose, I think. He says, uh, before Angers, well met, brave Austria, Arthur, that great forerunner of thy blood. And so so now he's really, um, really praising Arthur. And, and I think I mentioned this last time, maybe not. But, but uh, Arthur is the son of Richard's brother, Godfrey. And so this is Richard the Lionheart. So so Richard's one of Richard's brothers was Godfrey, and Arthur is his son, just the same as John is also a brother of Richard the Lionheart. And Richard the Lionheart was the big king, and he said, look, you're, you're king. So Richard the Lionheart was the kingmaker at that time. And this, this goes back to, again, to the very early Plantagenets. So uh, King Philip goes on. He says, Richard, that robbed the lion of his heart and fought the holy wars in Palestine. So he's really, King Philip is really kind of uh, making fun of Richard at this point. By this brave duke came early to his grave. And for imagine uh, for amends to his posterity, at our importance, hither is he come to spread his colors, boy, in your behalf. And, and so essentially what he's, he's got Arthur standing there right with him. And he's saying, look, the Duke of Austria is here, man. He's, he's really defending you. He wants you to be king in France. And, uh, you know, he's trying to get this, and again, Arthur is just a young boy here at the time. And uh, uh, here he, he refers to the Duke as the brave Duke. And this is where actually Shakespeare kind of molds the two characters. It was the Viscount that actually killed him or had him killed. And, uh, you know, it wasn't this, the, the uh, Duke of Austria. And so, uh, but, but he's, what he's doing is he's pulling history together to make it make, to make his play make sense. And for those of us that don't, we probably don't know a lot of the history anyway, so we don't care. <laughs> so anyway, he says, at our importance hither is he come to spread his colors, boy, in your behalf. So he's saying, look, the Duke is here, the Duke of Austria. And in many ways, uh, you know, uh, for those of you that read our literature, you know, we're talking about the rise of the Holy Roman Empire. That's what we're dealing with here. You know, we're, we're dealing with Austria and Germany, and and you know they they, uh, they had an empire even then, and so so uh, you know Shakespeare's dealing with all of this, and and in other words, what Philip is telling this boy is, look, this guy has come, he's spreading his colors on your behalf, 
And it says, and to rebuke the usurpation of your unnatural uncle, English John. Embrace him, love him, give him welcome hither. So he's, he's not talking about John. He's talking about this duke from Austria. He's saying, embrace him, love him, give him welcome hither. You know, you should be happy that this Duke of Austria wants you to take over the throne from your uncle, John. And Arthur, he says, God shall forgive you Cor de Lion's death, that rather that you give up his offspring life. So this is Arthur's talking to this Duke. He's saying, well, God's going to forgive you of, of uh, Richard's death and and all that. He says, shattering their right under your wings of war, I give you welcome with a powerless hand but with a heart full of unstained love, welcome before the gates of Angier's duke. And so so this is Arthur. He's just saying, look, I've got this heart full of love for you. Welcome before the gates of Angier's. So so Philip, in, in some ways, King Philip's a big chicken. He's not here at Angier's gate by himself. He's got to have some support. So he gets a bunch of women to come with him as well. And so we're going to see this. All right, so then Louis, the Dauphin, this is the son in France. He says, a noble boy, who would not do thee right? And then Austria, or the Duke of Austria, says, upon your cheek lay I this zealous kiss. And so so you can just see that. You know, it's like, Holy Roman Empire, yeah, we'll kiss you because we love you. And then life you in the back later, probably. Said, as a seal to this indenture of my love, that to my home I will no more return till Angiers and the right thou hast in France. So the Duke is saying, I'm not leaving until we make sure that you're now king. You're going to replace John. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to, we're going to, uh, I'm not leaving until this is all done. Together with that pale, the white faced, Shore, whose foot spurns back the ocean's roaring tides and coops from other lands, her islanders. So here the Duke is making fun of England. You know, and there's, there's, there's always been jealousy over the, Eng the English. I mean, even, even Julius Caesar tried to take England and couldn't. <laughs> you know, they're tough people. And, uh, he, he's really, really picking on the whole idea of England here. He says, whose foot spurns back the ocean's roaring tides and coops from other lands or islanders, even till that England hedged in with the main, that water-walled bulwark, still secure and confident from foreign purposes, even till that utmost corner of the West, salute thee for her king. Till then, fair boy, will I not think of home, but follow arms. So he's saying, I'm going to, I'm in this battle. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fight alongside everybody just till you become king. That's what we want. Now, guess who's there next? His mom. Constance says, Oh, take his mother's thanks, a widow's thanks, till your strong hand shall help to give him strength to make a more requital to your love. So remember now, we're talking about a young boy here. And the mother wants him to be king. And Austria says there, the peace of heaven is theirs that lift their swords in such a just and charitable way. So here the Duke of Austria still wants a war. He wants to see war happening here. King Philip then comes back and he says, well then, to work, our cannon shall be bent against the brows of this resisting town. Call for our chiefest men of discipline to call the plots of best advantages. We lay before this town our royal bones. Way to the marketplace and Frenchman's blood, but we will make it subject to this boy. So, so here, 
what they've done is they're they're standing there in front of Algiers. They brought their cannon, and if the if the people of Algiers do not accept Arthur as their king, they're going to blow it to, to smithereens. That's what they're going to do, and so um, uh, you know that's that's what Philip is after. Then Constance, the mother, says, "Stay for an answer to your embassy." Lest unadvised you stain your swords with blood, my lord Chatillion may from England bring that right and peace with which here we urge in war, and then we shall repent each drop of blood that hot rash haste so indirectly and indirectly shred. So, so this is probably one of the the, the smartest thing that Constance says in the play. <laughs> he said, "Look, Philip, you you want to start this war with this poor town." Your ambassador isn't even back yet to tell you what what King John wants to do. And he says, why don't we just wait till Chatillion comes back? If you remember from, from last time, we encountered him in, in Act 1, Scene 1. And so, uh, amazingly, just like, how did this happen? You know, but Shakespeare's got this all organized. Guess who shows up? Chantillion. All of a sudden, she says, look, let's just wait. Let's not start, let's not shed any blood. Let's wait to hear what Chantillion has to say. And then King Philip, oh, he's just unbelievable. Oh, he says, a wonder lady, lo, upon thy wish, our messenger Chantillion is arrived. What England says, say briefly, gentle lord, we coldly pause for thee, Chantillion, speak. So he's saying, come on, give us the answer. Then Chantillion says, then turn your forces from this paltry siege and stir them up against a mightier task. England, impatient of your just demands, has put himself in arms. The adverse winds whose leisure I have stayed have given him time to land his legions all as soon as I. So essentially, Chatillion comes back with bad news saying, no, John's not going to, he's not giving in. In fact, John's uh, followed me here. He's got a massive army with him. And he said, uh, it doesn't look good. It says, uh, his marches are expedient to this town. His force is strong. His soldiers confident. With him along, it comes the mother queen. And of course, that's uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine. She's with him. And Ate, or Eight, I think it should be. And she's the Greek goddess of mischief and vengeance. That's line 63. So, so uh, you know, Shakespeare does love his his Greek uh, mythology, and so her, I guess that name actually is Ate, A T E, and she is the Greek goddess of mischief and vengeance. So she says, uh, Chantillion says, yeah, and this goddess is stirring him to blood and strife. With her niece, the Lady Blanche of Spain, with them a bastard of the king's deceased, and all the unsettled humors of the land. So, so essentially what we have to understand here, Lady, Lady Blanche of Spain is the daughter of Eleanor of Aquitaine. And Eleanor of Aquitaine had married her father, who was Alfonso VIII of Castile. And uh, you know, one, for a time they were married, and this is their daughter. And so she's a princess. And so, so they have Lady Blanche of Spain here. So, so now this is what really gets... Um, uh, Arthur's mother all stirred up because she's going to start really picking on 
uh, Eleanor. She said, uh, she says, with her niece, the Lady Blanche of Spain, with them, a bastard of the king's deceased. And so, so now remember, this is, if you remember back to, to Act 1, Scene 1, this, uh, we call him Richard. He's now Sir Richard. Remember, John knighted him before he left. And so he is Sir Richard. So we're not going to always call him that. So it says, all the unsettled humors of the land, rash, inconsiderate, fiery voluntaries with ladies' faces and fierce dragon spleens have sold their fortunes at their native homes, bearing their birthrights proudly on their backs to make a hazard of new fortunes here. So essentially, what he's talking about, the landed gentry, the, the uh, poor people that, that work for the knights, you know, they work on their land, they, they're, they're, they're indentured servants, they're all part of this war. And, you know, when there was a war, if you, if you were an indentured servant to one of the knights and it was time for war, you were immediately called into the war. And so, so, uh, uh, there's a lot of people that are now coming after King Philip. It says, then now the English bottoms have waft over did never float upon the swelling tide to do offense and scathe in Christendom. Their interruption of their churlish drums cuts off more circumstance they are at hand. And then you can hear a drum beat in the background. To parley or to fight, therefore prepare. And then King Philip comes back. He says, how much unlooked for, for is this ex- expedition? So King Philip thought, well, I'm the king. John's just going to c- capitulate to me immediately. <laughs> it didn't happen. So Austria says, by how much unexpected, by so much we must awake endeavor for defense. For encourage mounteth with occasion. Let them be welcome then, and we are prepared. So now, it, this is a little bit, maybe it's not easy to understand, but if you think about Germans, and you think about the Holy Roman Empire, you think about what's going on, what he's saying to the king is, hey, all right, we didn't expect this. Let's welcome them. Let's, let's welcome them. Let's, let's not say we're going to fight them. Let's just welcome them in. And then that'll give us time to get prepared to go after them. And so they weren't prepared to have a big, uh, you know, a big army come after them. And so they weren't prepared. So, so here Austria is just telling him, or Imogis is telling them, Hey, let's let, let's welcome them. Then we get prepared. Then we'll deal with them. So now into the scene. This is act two, still scene one. King John enters. And then, of course, he's got, uh, he's got Richard, Sir Richard, um, and, and by the way, every, I think I re- told everybody last time, just remind you that, that, uh, Sir Richard is not an historical figure. It's something made up by Shakespeare. But the one thing that, that we should learn about this is, is Sir Richard is probably one of the smartest characters in the whole play. <laughs> and so you can see that Shakespeare kind of made him up to kind of be his voice in the play to help us understand what's really going on. So, uh, so John enters. He's got the, the, uh, Sir Richard with him. He's got Queen Eleanor with him. He's got Blanche. That's the, the lady of uh, Blanche of Spain. He has Pembroke. And remember, Pembroke is one of the, uh, the leading, um, uh, executives back in England, 
and he he's a really good uh, friend of John's. Pembroke is kind of you know he's he's one of the knights. He kind of feeds him good information, and it says and others. So King John walks in and he says, "Peace to France, if France and peace permit, our just and lineal entrance to our own. If not, bleed France and peace ascend to heaven, while we." God's wrathful agent to correct their proud contempt that beats his peace to heaven. So so King John came in, he's not a wimp. He says, Look, peace to France, if you if you want peace, we'll give it to you. But if not, you're gonna bleed. We're gonna tear you apart. And so so he, he just says, I'm not giving up the throne. I'm not giving it up to Arthur. And then King Philip comes back, he says, Peace to be to England. If that ward returned from France to England, there live in, there to live in peace. So, so King Philip says, "Okay, you want a war? Let's have one." And uh, but Philip, again, he he's uh, he's doing not doing what Austria is telling him. He says, "England, we love, and for that England's sake, with burden of our armor, we here we sweat." So he's saying, "Look, this is a burden. We we're." Uh, we're out here. We're ready to start fighting. And uh, he said, we're sweating. And uh, he said, but from from loving England art so far, thou hast underwrought his lawful king. And so, so you have to understand also as you're reading this that there are people standing on the walls of Angiers listening to all of this. And so if I didn't bring that out, sorry about that. But he's saying that you have underwrought the, his lawful king. And he's talking about Arthur. He's saying, look, Arthur is the real king. You're not the real king here. And uh, he said, cut off the sequence of posterity, outfaced infant state, and done a rape upon the maiden virtue of the crown. He says, this is what you've done. It's, it's like it's like uh, John has, uh, he's, he's taken the crown. It's like he's raped them. And he says, "Here, look here upon your brother Joffrey's face. So now, now remember that Arthur is the son of Joffrey. And obviously, sons obviously look like their fathers. And so he's saying, look, 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 your brother's right here. Here's Joffrey's face. Look at these eyes. These brows were molded out of his. This little abstract doth contain that large which died in Joffrey, and the hand of time shall draw his this brief into a huge volume. And he said, look, John. You know your your older brother. He looks just like your older brother, and in time he's going to be as big as your older brother. And he says, you know, consider this. And uh, he says, this Joffrey was thy elder brother born, and this is his son. England was Joffrey's right, and this is Joffrey's in the name of God. Now remember the history I gave you at the beginning. Who made John king? It was Richard the Lionheart. Joffrey was dead. Richard the Lionheart decided, you're going to be king. And so so this was a problem that it probably was not legally written down. And so so this is the problem with government that I think Shakespeare is, is talking about. And, and in some ways, this is different than his Tudor histories. And so, but still, it, it's just, it, it is a problem for for you know human beings to be able to govern themselves <laughs> it's just a problem it doesn't work and then he said look england was joffrey's right and this is joffrey's son in the name of god 
So, so the king is really, Philip is really getting self-righteous saying, look, I'm speaking in the name of God. This is the king. You're not the king. And so, so as you get, as you go through, um, like the kings and you get, you get to as far as King James, King James, uh, you know, he was the king of Scotland and of England. He believed in the, in the, that God did influence kings. And in fact, uh, King James believed he was of the line of David. And of course, uh, you know, we, we talk about this quite a bit, um, you know, here at the college and also in the Philadelphia church that, that, uh, you know, David's line was promised by God to last forever. And so there's always one of David's uh, relatives or sons on the throne. And uh, um, I don't know how much Shakespeare understood of that, but it says, Here comes it then that thou art called a king, when living blood doth in these temples beat, which own the crown that thou uh, ere masterest. So he's saying, look, here's the king, and it's Arthur, and, and there's there's blood in his temples. But I mean, he's alive. It's like Jeffrey, Joffrey is alive. And then King John, he comes back and he says, From whom hast thou this great commission, France, to draw my answer from thy articles? So he says, Who are you to decide who could be king over England? Who are you? And then Philip goes back and he says, from the supernal judge that stirs good thoughts in any breast of strong authority. So he's saying, you know what? God told me this. Supernal means God. God is, God's telling me to do this. And he said, uh, he goes on to say, to look into the blots and stains of right that judge hath made me guardian to this boy, under whose warrant I impeach thy wrong, and by whose help I mean to chastise it. So, so Philip is saying, hey, you're still doing wrong, and it's my intention to chastise you for what you're doing. And then King John says, alack, thou dost usurp authority. And King Philip goes on to say, excuse it to beat usurping down. Excuse it is to beat usurping down. He said, you're the usurper. I'm not. <laughs> you're the one that says usurp. The... He said, I'm just trying to get get the the settled that Arthur can be on the throne. Now, Eleanor, then the mother who's there, and she was a tough lady, by the way, Eleanor of Aquitaine. She was she had her her uh, good sense about government and and ruling. She says, Eleanor says, Who is it thou dost call usurper, France? She's now in some ways she's defending her own son here. But She's saying, look, how's this up to you? Remember now, Eleanor was also queen of France. <laughs> so she knows how the governments work. And then Constance says, let me answer your usurping son. And, and uh, Eleanor says, well, who, who are you calling usurper, France? And, and Constance has to step up and say, well, let me make answer thy, thy usurping son. Okay, now, now the two women go at it. So the kings are going to stop for a while. And then uh, uh, Eleanor says, Oh, out insolent, thy bastard shall be king, that thou mayest be a queen and check the world. She says, You don't want him to be king. You want to be queen. <laughs> That's what she's saying. You want it. You want to be in charge. And then Constance, now she's picking on 
She's going to go right back after Eleanor. She says, My bed was ever to thy son is true, as thine was to thy husband and this boy, like here in feature to his father, Geoffrey. Thou, then thou and John in manners being as like as rain to water or devil to his dam. My boy, a bastard, by my soul, I think his father never was true be God. It cannot be, and if thou wert his mother. And so, so essentially what Constance is saying, Eleanor, you're a slut. <laughs> you know, where did you get John from? Is that from your husband? Did you have an affair? And Eleanor says, there's a good mother boy that blots thy father. <laughs> and so Constance says, there's a good grand, granddam boy that would blot thee. So, so in the line of the family, Eleanor actually is the grandmother of Arthur. And so now the two women are they're going at it. And, and the, Constance tells her son, look, uh, granddam, your granddam uh, wants to blot you. You know, from being king. And now, now we're going to keep going on to page 22. Again, I hope this is, is helping to, to kind of clear some of this up for you. Um, but notice then Austria comes in, the Duke of Austria. He says, peace. And, and, uh, uh, the, the, <laughs> the thing is, even, even the Duke of Austria can see this is not going in the right direction. You know, there's, there's all this pent up frustration in the women and, and all that. Now, what's really interesting is Sir Richard now comes on the scene. And the, the thing is, is when you look at this, that this is a really an interesting character, is, is he's made up, but he's got the most wisdom. He's trying to help with the wisdom. And it's almost like, uh, I don't know, if how many of you read like Henry IV and and some of that with Falstaff. <laughs> you know, Falstaff was a big, fat drunk, but he was one of the smartest guys, you know, that, that was trying to help Henry V, you know, get to the throne kind of thing. Actually, he was probably helping to take keep him away from the throne. But uh, uh, notice Sir Richard comes in and says, Hear the crier. And uh, Austria says, What the devil art thou? And, and here's the Duke is saying, well, who are you? What are you doing here? You know, I'm the Duke of Austria. Uh, you know, Constance is here. Arthur's here. What are you doing here? And then, then uh, uh, what Sir Richard says is, is look, well, uh, hear the crier. And the Austria says, what the devil are you? And, the, and then Richard says, one that will play the devil, sir, with you. And a may catch your hide and you alone. You are, uh, you are the hare of whom the proverb goes, whose valor plucks dead lions by the beard. I'll smoke your skin coat, and I'll catch you right. Sir, look to it in faith. I will in faith. So, so he's just telling the Duke of Austria right off. He said, hey, don't you pick on me. <laughs> I'm going to come back at you. Now, Blanche, this is the daughter, and uh, she's Lady Blanche, so she's of royal blood. Blanche starts talking. She says, oh, well, did he become that lion's robe that did disrobe the lion of that robe? And so Blanche is saying, oh, now wait a second, Austria. Did you, are you the one that killed my, you know, Richard Lionheart? Are you the one? And then uh, Richard says, it lies as slightly on the back of him 
as great Hercules shows upon an ass. But ass, I'll take that burden from your back, or lay on that shall make your shoulders crack. So there, there you got those two lines. That's that's the poetry. There you go. It's it's a rhyming couplet. I'll take that burden from your back that shall make your shoulders crack. So that's uh, Shakespeare had to get one of those in somewhere. You know. So then Austria says, what cracker is the same that defs our ears with his abundance of superfluous breath? King Philip determined what we shall do straight. And then uh, uh, this is Austria. He's encouraging King Philip. He says, women and fools, break off your conference. King John, this is all the very sum of all. England, Ireland, Angiers, Touraine, Maine, in right of Arthur do I claim of thee. And he says, will thou resign them and lay down your arms? And so he said, look, I'm claiming all of this for Arthur. England, Ireland, Angiers, Tor, Maine. And so that's a lot of territory. But he's claiming that for Arthur. And then King John comes back and says, my life is soon. I do, I do defy thee, France. Arthur of Bretagne, yield to thee my hand, and out of my dear love I'll give thee more than ever the coward hand of France can win. Submit thee, boy. And so, so John is saying, look, Arthur, come under the crown. Come under the crown of England, and I will give you lands. I'll give you things. And, and uh, uh, don't, let, don't let France go to war and win something for you. I'll give it to you. And he says, submit to me, my boys. And, and then Eleanor says, come to your granddam, child. And so, so Eleanor was a very powerful lady. And Constance says, do, child, go to it, granddam, child. Give granddam kingdom, and it granddam will give it plum, a cherry, and a fig. There is good granddam. So, so Constance is saying, you know, yeah, you're good granddam. Yeah, but she worth a plum, a cherry, and a fig. And, and uh, um, the, the thing is, is Arthur knows this is his grandmother. You know, and then Arthur even says, good, my mother, peace. I would that I were low laid in my grave. I am not worth this coil that's made for me. So essentially what happens here is, is it, it's like you can imagine a kid uh, you know, if, if you have some young children and a mother and father are divorcing and one wants one, one wants the other, this is essentially what's going on. And Arthur actually starts crying. He's young. He's a young kid. And he's saying, you're fighting over me. You know, it's like, I don't, he, he, he's a kid. He doesn't, he's not, I don't want all these lands. You know, I don't want that. And then Eleanor says, his mother shames him so, poor boy, he weeps. Constantine comes back and says, Now shame upon you, where does where she does or no? His granddad's wrongs and not his mother's shames draws those heaven-moving pearls from his poor eyes, which heaven shall take in nature of a fee. I, with these crystal beads, heaven shall be bribed to do him justice and revenge on you. And so, so essentially, Constance is saying, Look, Eleanor, you've got all these sins in your life you know, with other men, and, you know, who are you to speak? And then Eleanor says, the monstrous slander of heaven and earth. And so 
So Eleanor lets her have it, saying, well, you're, you're a slanderer. You're, you're telling lies. And Constance says, thou monstrous injurer of heaven and earth, call me not slanderer. You and your usurp the dominations, royalties, and rights of this oppressed boy. This is your eldest son's son, unfortunate nothing but in thee. Thy sins are visited in this poor child. The canon of the law is laid on him, being but the second generation removed from thy sin-conceiving womb. So that's pretty intense. <laughs> she says, you're a whore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, who are you to tell me anything? And then King John comes back and says, Bedlam have done. The word Bedlam there means lunatic. He said, this is, this is getting crazy. And then Constance comes back and says, I have but this to say, that he is not only plagued for her sin, but God hath made her sin and her the plague on this remove it issue, plagued for her, and with her plague, her sin is injury. Her injury, the beetle to her sin, all punished in the person of this child, and all for her a plague upon her. So, so Constance is really getting, she's getting on her broom here. She's really going after uh, Eleanor. Eleanor says, Thou unadvised scold, I can produce a will that bars the title of thy son. And Constance says, Oh, who doubts that? A will? A wicked will? A woman's will? A cankered granddam's will? <laughs> so they're really, they're really going at it. It, it. If you would see this play, I'm sure it would be really hilarious. You know, it's it's a little hard to to have a grovelly voice read it all to you and make it make sense. But I, I would like to find a CD on this this uh, play, and uh, I, I understand there's probably one out there. King Philip says, Peace, lady, pause, or be more temperate. It ill beseems this presence to cry, aim to these ill-turned repetitions. Some trumpet summons hither to the walls. These men of Angiers, let us hear them speak. Whose title they admit, Arthur's or John's? Now, one of the things I think this is the big problem in this in this play, and it's not that it's a the play's a problem, but this is the big problem that Shakespeare is dealing with, and and the big problem is what King Philip does. He said, okay. We, we're not getting this solved. Let's let the people of Angiers decide who's king. Is it Arthur or is it John? And, you know, that's like, that's like giving the decision for America's um, <laughs> next president to the Democrats. <laughs> you know, um, don't give it to the citizens of, of Angiers. You know, th 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 that's a problem. It's going to be a problem. And then, then, then you have the citizens, well, they're up there listening on the, on the walls. And there's a, one of the, one of the citizens, his name is Hubert. And so it's, it's, you have to read the little note underneath there. So the citizen said, who is that warned us to the walls? And so, so he's saying, no, wait, what's going on here? And he said, King Philip says, tis France for England. King John says, England for itself, you men of Angiers, and my loving subjects. So, so uh, 
uh, you know, this is they're, they're they're really trying to really win over these men of Angiers. As King Philip, you loving men of Angiers, Arthur's subjects, our trumpet called you to this gentle parley. So so he's saying. Uh, King John says, you're my loving subjects. And then King Philip comes back and says, well, no, you're Arthur's subjects. And um, he says, that's why we called you. We, we wanted you to hear this. We want you to decide who is king over uh, Angiers. Is it John or is it is it Arthur? And then uh, J- King John comes back. He says, for our advantage, therefore, us, uh, therefore hear us first. These flags of France that are advanced here before the eye and prospect of your town have hither marched to your endamagement. In other words, King Philip, he came here with all his flags flying. This is going to be to your injury. You've got to listen to me. This is King John. He says the cannons, and remember now the king has brought a bunch of cannons. He says the cannons have their bowels full of wrath, and ready mounted are they to spit forth their iron indignation against your walls, all preparation for a bloody siege and merciless proceeding by these French. Confront your city's eyes, your winking gates, but for our approach, these sleeping, those sleeping stones, that as a waste doth girdle you're about by the compulsion of their obedience, by this time from their fixed beds of lime. And so what he's talking there is cement. He said, look, if if you don't do this right, your walls are going to be just torn down. You're not going to have any protection. And and he said, uh, had been disinhabit, dishabited and wide havoc made for bloody power to rush upon your peace. So he's saying, look, you know, be careful who you listen to here. Be careful who you decide, because if you decide for Philip, you know, your your walls are going to be knocked down. He goes on to say, but on the side of us, your lawful king, who painfully with much expedient march, have brought a countercheck before your gates to have unscratched your city's threatened cheeks. Behold, the French amazed Valchafe a parley, and now instead of bullets wrapped in fire to make a shaking fever in your walls, they shoot but calm words folded up in smoke to make a feignless error in your ears which trust accordingly, kind citizens, and let us in your king, whose labored spirits, forwearied in this action of swift speed, craves harborage within your city walls. And so, so essentially what, what um, King John is asking, look, I'm the king, I'm the one that's going to protect you, would you just let me in the city now? In other words, protect me from Philip because they want to go to war. And then King Philip comes back and he says, when I have said, make answer to us both, lo, in this right hand, whose protection is most divinely vowed upon the right, of him it holds stands young Plantagenet, son to the elder brother of this man, and king over him and all that he enjoys, for this downtrodden equity we tread. In warlike march these greens before your town, being no further enemy to you, than the constraint of hospitable zeal, and the relief of this oppressed child religiously provokes. Be pleased then to pay that duty which you truly owe to him that owes it, namely this young prince. 
And then our arms, like to a muzzled beat, save an aspect, hath all offense sealed up. He's saying, look, all you have to do, all of you people in Algiers, just say who the king is. All you need to do is say, Arthur is our king. It's done. And so he says, that will, that will stop our cannons. He says, our cannons malice vainly shall be spent against the invulnerable clouds of heaven. And with a blessed and unvexed retire, with unhacked swords and helmets all unbruised, we will bear home that lusty blood again, which we have came to spout against your town, and leave your children, wives, and you in peace. But if you finally pass our proffered offer, tis not the roundue of your old-faced walls can hide hide you from our messengers of war. And so, so essentially, the king is saying, you either pick Arthur or you're going to be frustrated by the messengers of war and essentially what that means, cannonballs. Philip tells him, you got a choice, Arthur. If you don't choose Arthur, we're going to shoot the daylights out of you. <laughs> he says, though all these English and their discipline were harbored in their rude circumference, then tell us shall your city call us Lord. In that behalf which we have challenged it, or shall we give the signal to our rage and stalk in blood to our possession? So, so essentially, he's saying, you got one choice, Arthur, or you got the cannonballs. Now, the citizen says from the, from the, the wall, he says, in brief, we are the king of England's subjects. For him and in his right, we hold this town. And then that the, the, they're saying, the king of England is our king. King John says, acknowledge then the king and let me in. And the citizens, this is, this is where it goes bad. <laughs> the citizen says, that can we not. But he that proves the king, to him we will prove royal. Till that time have we rammed up our gates against the world. And so he said, okay, you got to prove to us your king. You prove, you know. And then John comes back, he says, does not the crown of England prove the king? And if not that, I bring you witnesses. Twice 15,000 hearts of England breed, and um, Richard, Sir Richard, <laughs> he, he pipes in now too, he says, and bastards and else, he said, we brought these people, but he says, don't forget me, you know. This go by Richard. I don't like to use the term bastard. But anyway, King John says to verify our title with their lives. King Philip says, as many as well-born bloods as those, bastard. <laughs> Some bastards too. So so here, now they're getting in this little fisticuffs again. Uh, the bastard says, Some bastards too? King Philip says, Stand in his face to contradict his claim. Citizen, to you compound whose right is worthiest, we for the worthiest hold the right from both. So he's saying, you got to prove to us who's, who's the worthiest, Arthur or John. And unless you prove that, none of you are getting in here. Then John says, uh, King John says, then God forgive the sins of all those souls that to the everlasting residence before the dew of evening fall and shall fleet in dreadful trial of our kingdom's king. King Philip says, Amen, Amen, mount chevaliers to arms. And so so the king says, Okay, you asked for it, we're gonna we're gonna fight. 
Then Richard says, St. George that swing the dragon and e'er since sits on horseback at mine horse's hostess door, teach us some fence. He looks at Austria and says, Sirrah, were I at home and at your den, Sirrah, with your lioness, I would set an ox head to your lion's hide and make a monster of you. And Austria is saying, Peace, no more. And then Richard, Sir Richard says, O oh, tremble, for you hear the lion roar. And then King John says, Up higher to the plain, where we'll set forth in best appointments our regiments. And then Sir Richard, then the bastard, says, Speed them to take advantage of the field. And the king says, uh, It shall be so, and at the other hill, command the rest to stand, God and our right. So now a French herald then comes in and says, You men of Angiers, open wide your gates and let young Arthur, Duke of Britain, in, who by the hand of Francis they hath made much work for tears in many an English mother, whose sons lie scattered on the bleeding ground, many a widow's husband groveling lies, coldly embracing the discolored earth, and victory uh, with little loss doth play upon the dancing banners of the French who are at hand triumphantly displayed to enter conquerors and to proclaim Arthur of Bretagne, England's king and yours. And so so uh, that's what the, the French herald is saying. Hey, just declare him king. Hey, let's get this over with. Then the English herald says, Rejoice, you men of Angers, ring your bells. King John, your king in England doth approach. Commander of this hot, malicious day, their armors and marched hands to silver bright, hither return all guilt from Frenchmen's blood. So now we had the French herald say, come on, bring in Arthur. Now the English herald is saying, bring in King John. And then the, uh, uh, I'm going to skip that. Well, actually, that's all the time we have for today's program. All right. So sorry about that. I'm, I'm really uh, caught into it. We're at page 30. But that's all the time we have for today's program. Please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page, Shakespeare's Royal Education. And remember, you will be able to find a good used copy of King John at abebooks.com. Some copies will be under $5. So thanks for joining me. Next time, we will advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.